Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week we're wondering why Ireland doesn't have a supervised drug injection centre yet. And we're asking this because we've been hearing about these facilities for quite a long time now. Back in September 2015, we in the Journal ran a headline, International Experts Back Irish Drug Injection Centre Plan. And three months later, Dublin was told it would have its first one within 18 months. For a lot of people, it's a complete no-brainer. You get needles out of public places like playgrounds and laneways and tourist streets. You reduce overdoses. You keep drug users safer. Um, But it's been three years and Dublin is still waiting, never mind everywhere else in the country. And the Journal.ie's reporter Cormac Fitzgerald, who has been covering this topic for years, and our executive producer and acting editor Christine Bohan are in studio to answer some of the questions that we have. And I have a lot of questions about this (laughs) because is this just nimbyism? Like what is with the delay or is it just really an Irish thing and joining a long list of things that we should have by now, but don't like the Metro North, the Children's Hospital, National Broadband Hand. You know, these are all things that are in the news this week because we don't have them yet. Christine, you're laughing. (laughs) Oh, for future explainers. (laughs) It is kind of an Irish thing because in a lot of ways it echoes so many other public policy debates that we have in Ireland where there's this kind of tension or this, this disconnect between the evidence and what experts would see as best practice and what communities want and need for themselves. So we see it in the debate around building high rise in Dublin for example, when we have city planners and economists telling, saying things like, this makes the most sense for dealing with a growing population, but communities aren't happy with it taking place in their areas. So it's this, you know, this kind of nuance and difficult thing. There's no easy answer to it. It's more about what's the best thing for the country. How do we do this in a responsible way? Yeah, it's like build up, build up, oh, but not there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. so, This is necessary, but mm, not there. Cormac, just let's jump back a little bit. Can you explain what we mean when we say a supervised injection centre? What actually is it? Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, it's in the name there. A medically supervised injecting facility, as the HSE are calling them. Um, they're basically a place where a drug user, an intravenous drug user, can go and to uh, inject drugs that they procured themselves under under the supervision of a, a, a medical professional. So uh, there are about over 100, between 100 and 120 exist in the world at the moment. The first was opened in Switzerland way back in 1986. Uh, they're in Germany, France, the Netherlands, Spain, Denmark, Switzerland, and then there's there's one in uh, Sydney and uh, in Vancouver as well, the Inside Centre. So we've had, the, these have existed for over 30 years. <laughs> these have existed for over 30 years, yeah. Ireland kind of caught on in about 2015 and the, the then drugs minister, um, Aidan O'Reardon, uh, as you said, uh, announced that Ireland was going to get one. Um, in 2016, the new government, the Fine Gael minority government, had it in its, in its uh, programme for government. They said that we will support a health-led rather than criminal justice approach to drug use, including legislating for injection rooms. Uh, uh, this was further solidified in the National Drug Strategy from 2017 to 2025. They, they signaled that shift away from, from dealing with drug addiction through the criminal justice system to supporting addicts from a harm reduction health-led perspective and uh, injecting centres form a big part of this. Um, from there, there was laws passed in 2017 to legalise... So we've, so we've actually done the legislation, so that's not what slowing this up like this is on our statute books now it's just about where to put them absolutely yeah so the laws have been passed it's it's uh it's legal to to take drugs within these centers um it, it's been legis- legislated for to take control of substances so um uh, it was put out to tender by the hsc the tender was won by merchants key ireland it's a, a homeless and uh, addiction kind of um support service located in the the south keys there and merchants key in, in inner city dublin they won the tender i think in february 2018 but in that time 
a number of concerned groups had had sought declarations from Dublin City Council. Basically, it was hoped beforehand, Merchants Key and uh, had hoped that they could just open this centre um, without having to apply for planning permission. The council ruled that they would have to apply for planning permission. They applied for planning permission last year. There was a lot of submissions uh, given to that, and uh, the council came back acting for asking for more additional. And was that because they were building, or because it was a change of use? It was a change of use, and they're all they're building a, 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 in the basement of Merchants Key. They will be changing the use to this injection centre and and then building a whole new kind of facility down there, which the council said needed permission. It's interesting, Christine, to to hear that year 1986 was when Switzerland got the first one. And I'm thinking like we had our own crisis with heroin in Dublin and and further afield in in Ireland back in the 80s. So is there some parallels right now with that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that make Ireland different to other countries when it comes to to our approach to, to drug misuse, because it's much better now, I think. And even the fact that we're seeing legislation for this shows how much our, our legislate, our, much our laws have changed, our approach has changed. But in the past, our approach was all over the place. It was such such a mess because a lot of Ireland's drug policy was shaped or has been shaped by people on the ground and health workers who've been dealing with the realities of it um, rather than by politicians who were kind of dragged along rather than than trying to lead. So it's kind of an Irish solution to an Irish problem. It happened, you know, because because people made it happen rather than So is that lack of big picture thinking? So people were doing what they could on the ground, but not necessarily kind of looking wholly at it and thinking this is what might solve this. Yeah, exactly. Because if you go back to even like the 70s and 80s, drug use wasn't really talked about a lot in Ireland back th- back then. And like, so how to treat or solve problems with drugs was definitely not talked about. Um, I suppose if you think about Ireland back then, it's kind of predictable. You know, Ireland is very abstinence focused, really have heavily influenced by the US, which had the whole, you know, the war on drugs coming back from, you know, the, the Nixon administration and the whole just say no approach. Like it was like a moral failure. You know, if people were seen as were, were taking drugs, it was like a an us versus them approach, which and isn't, which is obviously not a great way to... And a misunderstanding of addiction and, and how that works. Exactly. Or even just a, a lack of conversation around it as well. You know, it was, I suppose, if you think of Ireland, the political culture was so dominated by these like acrimonious social debates like divorce and abortion. So it wasn't really an encouraging space for, for politicians to start debates on, you know, on these drug policies. It was just another thing for them to, to stay out of. And then what happened was, what changed was HIV and AIDS and the big increase in heroin use um, particularly in Dublin. Like in the space of just two years, the number of people who were seeking treatment for heroin in the main Dublin drug treatment centre on Jervis Street at the time, it increased eightfold between 1979 and 1981, just to give you an idea of, of the scale of things. And what happened was concerns grew with, among people who were working with drug users. And in 1987, the Jervis Street Centre, which is the main you know main treatment centre, began a methadone maintenance pro- programme to deal with some of the heroin users coming to it. And the Eastern Health Board, which is a precursor to the, the HSE in around Dublin and Wicklow, that began um, introducing needle, needle exchange in 1989. And there was no official acknowledgement or, you know, policy by the government. This was, you know, local agencies and um, organisations doing these things without government support, reacting to what was happening on the ground. So there wasn't really any big community focus or, or conversations around it. It was just like, get this done quietly. And there were definitely, and- yeah, I mean, there were communities talking about it. Look at like people in Ballymun and Teresa's Gardens were saying, look, this is a massive problem in our area. We need help. We need help at a community level and not just sending people, you know, we need to, sending people to a centralised, you know, place in the centre of Dublin or anything like that. But just to give you an idea of, of this huge disconnect, just a couple of months before the health board introduced uh, the needle exchange in, in Dublin city centre, the Minister for Health, who was Rory O'Hanlon at the time, uh, Ardell's father, came out and said there was not enough evidence to support the introduction of needle exchange um, for drug users or free condoms. And this was, you know, the Eastern Health Board obviously heard this and was like, 
fine, yeah, you say that. We're still going to go ahead and do it. But it shows that, you know, the politicians were saying this one thing and what was happening on the ground was just completely, completely different. Just to skip forward to the present day, Christine mentioned needle exchanges um, and things that were happening back in the 80s. And what's it like being a drug user now in Dublin? Yeah, I think um, like I've lived in Dublin my whole life. Uh, so grew up to the 90s, 2000s. Um, I think walking through Dublin around the uh, the uh, south inner city and north inner city, uh, you can see the scale of the drug problem. Like um, most people who live in Dublin, they see it. We were talking earlier about you see people public injecting down lanes mm. in the south keys you know around temple bar around places like that so there are intravenous drug users um living in the city and injecting like in in very public touristy places uh so to be a drug user now in dublin you're faced with a variety of issues uh you have uh, injecting down lanes uh like public injecting um there's a scale of the problem recent just yesterday figures are uh, released by the Health and Research Board showing that of the around 9,000 or so people who uh, who reported problem drug use last year, about half, 4,000 or so were uh, were opiate users and about 860 were injecting. Uh, we know from other studies that the vast majority of these are, are, are located in Dublin. To give you like just a bit of a snapshot, oh, just over 730 people died um, in 2016 as a result of uh, drugs. 354 people died from poisoning. So we're talking about a person, uh, one person a day in 2016 from from drug poisoning, mm. which would be overdose. And then of that, um, about 34 were were among people injecting, and 22, so 65 percent of the uh, of the the number uh, died in Dublin city. You know, so there are people dying on the streets. Those from injecting. those figures are huge, and also mm. as a percentage, if you're even in the 30s or the 60s, out of 800 odd people injecting, that that huge numbers and huge percentages. Yeah, there is. So, so it's a problem. Like you know, it's a social issue it's an issue for the for the users themselves but and it's also an issue for for people who are living and working in the city the the, the scale of the problem you mm. know? I think it's shown as well in the, the way that the government's approach to it once they did start paying attention to it how that changed so it went from a focus of kind of on abstinence on people just shouldn't take drugs to kind of a focus on harm reduction and now what we've seen in the, gur- the government's current um, national drug strategy is a focus on reducing harm and supporting recovery which is this idea that we want to make sure that users aren't harming themselves they're not harming society but also there is more of an approach now to try and get people off drugs completely like in the past it was kind of this kind of shifted in the 2000s where it began to be seen uh, harm reduction began to be seen as a way of keeping people parked in addiction rather than getting them drug free and that's kind of where the debate is at now should recovery be part of it or should the focus just be on harm reduction and the government is kind of aiming for both the the current drug national drug strategy is literally called reducing harm support so recovery. where where do these injection centers sit then what actually happens in those are, are they all just about harm reduction so merchants key has got this really clear plan laid out for how it will operate when it does eventually open and so I'll just go through that because I think yeah. it'd be interesting to know about what they plan to, to actually happen in, in these centres. Like if you go through the doors, what what goes on? Well, the first thing is client people who are attending it will, first of all, they come into it by a side lane down the side of uh, the building on Merchants Quay. They come in to uh, an assessment area and a waiting area, which is kind of going to be like any other health clinic you walk into, you know, kind of white walls, posters on the walls. We all, we all, we all kind of know what it's like. Magazines, yeah. yeah. Um, and the space for about 15 people there. And when you walk in, you have to register at reception and give some basic information. So maybe like your name, your date of birth, very low threshold of information. They don't need like loads of identifying details, but just to keep track of people as they um, as they, as they use the service. Um, new clients get an introduction about what it's like, about what to expect. 
And then once people have done that, then they move into a clinical area and there's seven booths there for injecting. Um, and obviously people have, can only use drugs that they've brought themselves and um, they inject themselves. They are monitored and um, there's going to be nursing staff and a, pres- and a project worker there at all times. And the staff have got things with them like, say, breathing masks, um, naloxone, these things that just in case somebody does overdose on the premises. Naloxone is the drug that can prevent overdoses? Yeah, it reverses overdoses. Reverses. Yeah, so if someone overdoses, the staff can, can use that. And then once they've used the drugs, they go into an aftercare area. And again, the staff make sure that people are monitored and maybe talk to them about healthcare treatment. And then there's a one-on-one room where people can talk to staff about getting support. So maybe it's accommodation, mental health issues, drug treatment, whatever. Um, And then they're assessed. And once they're ready, they can leave the centre going back out onto Merchant's Quay. And the Merchant's Quay projects that around 60 people a day can be catered for at the centre. And it'll open from six o'clock in the morning and um, close for a couple of hours during the day. But it will close eventually at nine o'clock um, on in, on weekdays. When you're both talking and explaining it, it all seems like there's so much common sense. And obviously it's been happening for decades in other countries. But the other side of my brain is thinking, right, we've already talked about nimbyism. We've talked about, you know, this taking a long time. You can also see, OK, if there's 60 people a day who are injecting what are illegal drugs? I know what they're doing in this centre is legal. You can see that there are cons for some people. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think Christine touched off drug policy there earlier. Like, we would have grown up very much as, a, you know, just saying no. It was like, drugs are totally. bad. You know, illegal Take drugs cannabis, are bad. Take cannabis, you're going to yeah. end up on heroin. Yeah, no, I know you that. Said, Or those yeah, books, exactly. The Agony of Ecstasy. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, all those exactly, guests yeah. on the Late Show. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we would have grown up, uh, yeah, with it that. So while you said it's common sense, to these seem like common sense. I think for a lot of people, the idea of a place where people can inject drugs legally uh, and be cared for. It, it jars a lot of people's sensibilities, you know, what we would have learned growing up. Um, so there are pros, we've listed pros, like uh, injection centres, they aim to, their their main function is to reduce risk by overdose. It's to to reduce the kind of risk of behaviours of unsafe injection, the transmission of diseases, uh, things like hep C and HIV and other sort of injection-based diseases. They connect marginalised people with services, as we touched on, and they... Um, they aim to reduce uh, the instances of public injecting and uh, discarded litter and drug paraphernalia. On the on the con side, then I suppose, or what people see as cons, as so as I said already, we have a problem in the inner city with public injecting. Uh, a lot of the the locals, you know, see this problem linked with the the extent of services that are in the area. They think that the adding of another service on top of the very many uh, drug services and mm-hmm. homeless services within the inner city is just going to add to more of the issues with it. So there were 99 submissions lodged with um, the, the planning uh, back in November. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And it came from businesses, locals in the area. It came from the likes of, say, the Workman's Club, the Garage Bar, the Clarence Hotel, Bono Edges Hotel. It came from uh, concerned residents in the area. It came from like people who've lived there who said they face harassment, they face intimidation living in that area, they face things like public defecation. You know, this is a, a, a daily part of their lives. Mm-hmm. They think the adding of yet another facility here is going to increase that. It's going to increase public drug dealing. It's going to increase all these other uh, issues. I suppose the, the thing you want to hone in on with the, probably the, the most pertinent objection is is the case of St. Audience National School, which is... Uh, which is located, I think it's maybe 300 metres door to door, uh, 200 metres as the crow flies say, <laughs> on a... On Away from where this injection uh, centre is yeah, planned. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's there already. Um, uh, we spoke to them last last month. So it's a DESH school, uh, about 200 students from preschool. So we're talking Montessori all the way up until till sixth class. We have children who, who live with autism there and 
a variety of special needs with with some of the children and the uh, the principal Ailish Mar. She's been working in the school for eighteen years. She's been a principal for eight years. Are there complaints quite similar to those ones that you listed there about antisocial behaviour and some of the things that people expect when they see intravenous drug users yeah. gathered? So they paint the kind of a bleak picture of the area. Cook Street is located just behind uh, the Riverbank Centre there on Merchants Quay. Um, Ailish Mar, she has a duty of care to her children, is what she says. She's a principal. She cares deeply for the, the education and the well-being of her students. Child protection, as we all know, is is a huge, uh, a, a huge important part of any sort of legislation that goes through. Uh, Ailish Mar, like the the story she says. Uh, is of uh, an area that is just besieged by drug use. We're talking public injecting less than 100 metres from the school. There's an area of 40 steps, people probably know it, that lead up there towards uh, St. Audens Park. It's a, you know, a historic area. She said that's a site of public injecting. You can see it from the windows. She took me on a tour through the school. You're standing in the Montessori room. You can see directly across to the 40 steps. You can She showed me pictures. You see people publicly injecting, injecting in their groins. There's been overdoses, violence and emergency services. Call. Would this injection centre not help that? Would that not bring all of that inside. That's the idea, and it aims to do that, which would be, uh, which is what Merchant's Key, of course, would say. Uh, but then again, from her perspective, she'll say that, well, it's the number of what I think is maybe like 18 different drug treatment services within like a, a two kilometer radius. It's these services that is bringing people to the area so that you're like you might have created a problem by, by bringing these to the area. Uh, and then you're going to create a solution by the problem by adding another service to the area. And, you know, she's had problems. Just to give you like just a quick example of what she said, speaking to the journal.e, it's, you know, we've had to call emergency services. We've resuscitated people ourselves. We've removed drugs off the ground from, from next to bodies. We've seen people die. We've seen people beaten up horrifically. And just to close on what she had to say... Uh, she says, while children are in the school, she can vouch for their safety 100%. Uh, but what they see in the community, what goes on around it, it's traumatic. These children see incidents all the time because they happen on the street in front of them and they happen on the way to school and after school. Uh, the problem is when you see stuff once or twice, you might be traumatised, but more than that, are you desensitised? And it's a it's a concern, you know. She raises, she's, she's not against injecting centres in, in theory. No, isn't she, that is, yeah, that's, she says that's, you know, that's not her, her remit. Her remit is to protect her children. Right. Nothing against yeah. injecting centres in theory. Some, some people might have a problem with them in theory. She's like, if that's government policy, that's fine. It just shouldn't be this close to a yeah. school. We're talking about not, the No Fry Zones campaign, that's what she says. You know, shouldn't be fast food restaurants. I think it's 300 metres from the school. The public alcohol bill. No ad- ad- alcohol and uh, advertisements. I think it's like 200 metres from the school. But you're going to put an injecting centre or a drug treatment centre? See, this is what I was saying when, uh, when, you're, when you were both talking earlier. It seemed like common sense. But now in the last three minutes, you can flip and you can also see why politicians may be on the side of the school because it seems to be counterintuitive to to have kids close to this centre even yeah. though if it's the best idea. I'm not sure Eilish Meyer would really say that uh, politicians are that sympathetic to her to her plight or to her worries but Merchants Key want to want to address these objections um, they want to be good neighbours and uh, Tom Shepard the, the communications coordinator spoke to us a little uh, about his response to some, some of the issues raised. You know from our point of view for children to see public drug use or stepping over um, discarded drug litter on the way to school that's completely unacceptable. And that, yeah, again, that is what the injecting facility is designed to do in many ways ourselves and the school principal are working towards the same end to remove that from the local area. And that is why we're, you know, we wouldn't be setting up an injecting facility if we didn't think it would meet those goals. I suppose what we've been saying to the people who did put in objections is that the injecting facility is designed to to deal with a lot of the concerns they've raised. So a lot of those observations focused on 
things like public drug use or discarded drug paraphernalia. And one of the key goals for the injecting facility is to bring that indoors, to take it off the street. I suppose when you talk about increased footfall uh, as a result of the injecting facility, the, rea- the reality is that the people who will be using the injecting facility are already at Merchants Key. We have a number of services here from you know, everything from uh, hot food and dry clothes to emergency shelter and then right through to uh, GP, nurse, dentist. It's a big component of the injecting facility because it means the people who are using those services at the moment can can link in with them through the injecting facility. You know, we're talking about in terms of drawing more, you know, that we created the problem. I, I, I think that's unfair because you have to look wider than that. You know, obviously there's a housing and homeless crisis going on at the moment with an increase in homelessness. We see an increase in addiction, an increase in, in public injecting. And that's even considering the fact that Dublin historically has had high levels of public injecting. So we see ourselves as responding to that problem. And I I wouldn't agree with any kind of assertion that, that we're creating that. From what I can get listening to both sides of that is that and there was no big objections to the legislation going through. So there's no big objections to the idea of injection centres. It's the idea of them being beside someone. It's the definition of nimbyism, really, even if it's completely understandable nimbyism in a way that maybe objecting to, you know, three-story or four-story high-rises in Castlenock isn't. Mm. Other countries obviously have gone through this as well. We're not, you know, that different to everybody else. What? How have other countries managed to get societies to live in harmony while these objection, injection centres exist? Well, the same discussions that are happening in Ireland have happened in every other country that's that's opened these injecting centres. Um, and what's, as Cormac said earlier, we've seen them opening, there's at least 100 of them around the world, mainly Europe, Canada and Australia. Um, but the big change that's happened in recent years is that governments have gotten involved. It used to be involved, you know, at street level with health workers um, organising them and starting them up. And now it's government policy. And and that's the big difference. So I, I think, know what Sinead was saying, or you were saying earlier about um, community driven efforts. Exactly. And the government kind of like lags behind, like it's not just Ireland where that happens. And what's happening now is that countries that don't have it are having the debate about whether to introduce them. So like in Britain, for example, there's pressure on whether to open them in in Glasgow because overdoses have grown massively, even in the last 20 years, they've grown fivefold there and it keeps getting blocked because the government keeps refusing to introduce them as government policy. And it's just a really interesting debate. It isn't unique to Ireland, like other countries have the exact same questions about where to locate them, where's the best place to have these services, because the evidence does seem to back up the idea that they work well but the question is always where to put them what is what is that evidence that they work well yeah um so we've been talking a lot about obviously what they aim to do and Mm. you know as we said earlier about it being a common sense approach i think one of the issues that uh, a lot of the objectors also tie to is that the evidence isn't really really robust it's not very comprehensive as uh, christine said a lot of them work on more community driven initiatives without proper statistical analysis going on or proper evaluation going on two centers the one in vancouver which you mentioned the insight and sydney have since the early 2000s been really monitoring them in a more comprehensive way but there's just not a, a really full data set so you can't hugely say that they definitely reduce uh, uh, drug related deaths or that they reduce, say, you know, antisocial behaviour. There's a lot of studies point uh, point to it that they do, in fact, do that. uh, And kind of anecdotally, they're they're shown to like, so there's some smaller studies, say, in Barcelona, there uh, was recorded a fourfold reduction uh, in the number of unsafely disposed syringes being collected kind of around one of the centres from a monthly average of 13,000 in uh, 
in 2004 to around 3,000 in 2012, you know. So kind of smaller studies show that the, the effectiveness of them from, from a wide evaluative sort of statistical model, it's harder to, to verify this. So, uh, yeah, so the evidence isn't isn't hugely robust. What's, what's interesting, I guess, about this one here, uh, the Merchant's Key project, is that if it eventually gets through uh, all the planning, it, it, it's still only a pilot program. It's it's an 18-month pilot program that will be very, very heavily monitored and evaluated. And then, you know, a, a report will be based on that. It's not like they're going to be opening forever. You know, this will be monitored. What Merchants Key are kind of saying is like, you know, work with us. Like we're trying to solve this problem. We want to reduce these issues, you know. So there's a few indicators, obviously, that the needles uh, in public places would be a big thing for people who, who live and visit Dublin. But what about the drug users themselves in terms of the safety of, of taking drugs obviously the drugs that they're bringing in can't be checked or anything like that mm. so that those fears are still there but are they more safe there's never been a death from an overdose at one of these centers anywhere in the world and that's something that's held up by campaigners for them that people will die from using these drugs um, outside the, the centers but actually in the centers no one has died from an overdose and that's because of the the you know the, they've got staff in there to look after people you know the people the, the users are being monitored so you know, in, in that way. And other data has shown that there's no kind of honeypot effect. There's no like increasing crime in the area. There's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that they improve hygiene, safer drug use. And then there's just wider health and public order benefits. I think on that as well. Yeah. The, while the data isn't very robust, even though it does point towards safer use and drug uh, related deaths, it very comprehensively shows that there's no increase, you know, like the issue with St. Auden's with, with all the businesses is that this is going to increase public drug dealing, drug taking, going to in, increase antisocial behaviour. But the data is quite clear that it does not increase it, you know, whether it, if it can show that it really fully re- reduces these problems, it shows that it doesn't increase it. So again, Merchants Key saying that, look, let's do the pilot. Let's see how it gets on. You know, the data shows that it doesn't get worse. It, it won't. It might not get better, but it also won't get worse. Yeah. So there's kind of a safety net there for people who are worried. And it does, like, like studies show that it does. And you know, it's like it's for the marginalised people, the people who don't get to these services anyway, the people who could be injecting down lanes and have no contact. We we, as uh, Tom mentioned there, we have a huge homelessness issue, rough sleepers, people who fall completely out of contact with these services. They might might have no connection. Like this is to kind of bring them in out of the cold. You know, get them the the, the continuum of care at least introduce them back into society in this way and also on top of that um it's these communities this area where the drug taking is happening so uh to introduce injecting here center here makes sense you can't put it outside of town you can't put it say in black rock because people aren't injecting drugs there and they won't go to it now on the flip side of that uh what a lot of the objectors will say is like is this a class issue Ailish Mar from St. Auden says it's a it's a class issue, isn't it? It's here in the inner city and we'll we'll add in another drug treatment centre and uh, we'll just like put it there. The example of no fry zones. There was last month a, a huge campaign out in Scaries when a fast food restaurant got given planning permission next to a school. Um, it had a lot of political support, TDs, councillors, all, you know, objecting to this. And uh, Ailish Mar uh, looked at that and said, <laughs> a no fry zone um uh, is is a great principle, but like we have people injecting here, we have an injecting centre right next to a school. How is that not an issue? This is a is this a class issue? And she's trying to get political support, which she feels she can't get, and yeah, she feels kind of put a, put out by that. I guess, again, going back to people's feelings around this versus what the data and the evidence and maybe what your um, personally want to believe in and, and want to think is okay. Do you think that these will ever actually open in Dublin? Like, will this happen? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, That's a really hard question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a drugs minister, no, um, <laughs> I think uh, I think they're part of government policy. You know, they're they're in the program for government. We've legislated for them. There are acts in place for these centres. Uh, Christine touched off it. You know, we have high rises going up in areas like Glass and Evan, which have the Dublin City Development Plan have, have said they don't want high rises there. But that uh, the minister uh, kind of just said, no, we need high rises. So that was a, a case of national. Uh, policy kind of trumping local plans, you know. So we're they are enshrined there. Uh, so the council came back. They didn't refuse Merchants Keys uh, application, but they came back acting asking for additional information. Uh, among that, they have to submit a detailed assessment to, that shows that the development won't result in an over-concentration of these, these services around Dublin. And then there was a detailed and specific operations management plan, things like evidence-based details of how many clients will be coming there, how it will be managed to regulate these clients coming. And what's importantly, I think, is a, an operational policing plan for the area. So one of the concerns raised is, so, OK, taking of drugs and possession of drugs or controlled substances within these centres won't be illegal. But what about on the way to the centre? Surely a, a police officer stationed right outside the injecting centre can just say, well, I know you're going in. I know you almost certainly have drugs on you, so let me search you. So the, the guards have, have pledged their support to this. You know, there's they're still devising that operational plan. So all this will... And equally, be that's open to abuse then, that someone who does want to deal can take that area and think this is this is where I can go and, and be safe. Yeah, that's yeah. the concern. And just say, oh, I'm on the way to the centre it's mm. okay I think you know the, the big thing here is are we going to see these same problems and issues arise every time we try to open injecting an injecting centre in Ireland or are we getting all these teething issues out of the way with Merchants Key like answering these naughty questions around the role of Gardaí yeah you preempted my question I was going to ask you know this is Dublin we're talking about what happens when we're going to Mullingar or Athlone Limerick, yeah, or Letterkenny like, yeah again it goes back to how Ireland deals with these, these issues do we say okay we're learning from this as we go and now we're, we can shape this and wrap this in other in other cities or do we are we going to see this every single time again going back to the, the issue of high rise I mean which we do see replicated in, in other cities but I think it just it shows how much drug policy in Ireland has changed from this kind of you know hands over the eyes you know see no evil thing to this kind of much more mature conversation a nuanced conversation around how do we actually deal with this how do we you know help yeah, you know people harm, like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I and think the, there's a lot to be said from this that. conversation I think you can see some commonalities with you know things like some people don't want wind turbines in their backfield or a metro north station in, in beside their house or a high rise like we've been talking about or even like a low price supermarket but there are differences and more nuances here. Absolutely yeah, yeah. it's yeah it's a it's a complex debate I think uh, for from all sides or you know especially with the inclusion of children and concerns like it's very I think it's very reasonable people who are concerned uh, you know as a, as um, Merchants Key say, is like they all kind of want the same thing. We all want a reduction in exactly. <laughs> public injection. Yeah, we all want a reduction aim. in overday yeah. sets. We all this is how we get to that aim. So the Merchants Key have to come back to the to the council by the thirtieth of May to satisfy the additional information. That's going to go uh, whatever the council's decision, and maybe a month after that. On either side, will almost certainly I can I'll put money on it will be appealed to on board Panala, and then they'll make a decision then later on uh, later on in the year. So this uh, will run and run. It'll run and run, and what decision it'll be, it's it's up to the planners to decide that. I think. Thanks so much for coming in and explaining all that to us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. The very brilliant Nikki Ryan is the assistant producer and tech operator on this podcast. Aoife Barry is the producer and our executive producer is Christine Bowen, who you have been hearing from alongside our reporter Cormac Fitzgerald. Thanks also to 
all the other contributors on this episode. And if you like listening to The Explainer, we'd love you to tell us why and give us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. There, you'll also find our previous six episodes, including explainers on the FAI and John Delaney and the proliferation of measles in Ireland right now, both of which are still particularly relevant. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and we'll be here with a new topic next week. Thank you.